Welcome. We've got a lot to cover, so we're going to jump right in. Matthew 14 is where we're going to be. Matthew 14, if you would turn there, we'll pray and uh, we'll just jump in. Lord, we love you and thank you that you've given us the scriptures and you've given us the day, you've given us this building so that we can come and recenter our whole life around who you are and your call over us to serve this world. And so this morning we pray big prayers, radically reshape the way we think about the broken world that we live in and give us a bigger picture of you, Lord Jesus, and your plan to save and then show us what to do and send us out. That is, that's our prayer today, and that's our prayer in this season, that you would use us, Lord. In your name, amen. Well, it's good to be home. Uh, Brandon and I were in Myanmar and Thailand for about 10 days and heard good things. The podcast last week was so good, but it's good to be home. And if you're new here, we're in the middle of a vision series. Every fall we do a vision series. This is week five, and so please catch up on the podcast if you missed it, because we're kind of laying out where we're going over this next season, not just 12 months, but the next season of this church. And if you're here and thinking, maybe this is a place where God is placing me, it would really help you to evaluate, is this where you're going? Because this is where this community is going for sure. Recap, first three weeks was all out of Matthew 9 and 10. Jesus was filled with compassion. And out of that compassion, he calls people to himself. He calls disciples. And that deci- those disciples are going to become a community who are going to take what he does and push Jesus' agenda of healing and restoration to the rest of the world. It's a radical idea. No teacher in the time of Jesus was trying to do what Jesus did. He said, give me 12 and the entire world will be changed. And so we feel as a church that we're stepping into a season of growth. You've probably heard that phrase too much. We're stepping into a season of growth. Growth in trying to live more like Jesus, who's filled with compassion. Trying to live more like Jesus, becoming his disciple. Trying to live more like Jesus, not just being solo, but saying, I am a part of a community. And together, we're going to accomplish Jesus's work. So that's, that's where we're at. Well, what I want to do is over the next th- uh, couple of weeks is start to tease out how. How are we going to do this? And so I, I picked probably one of the most famous of Jesus's encounters, Matthew 14. Just warning, the second I start reading this, you're going to check out. Because this is so familiar, you're like, yeah, okay, game. Don't do that. Because there is an implication here we probably have not thought about yet. So I don't want you to miss it. It's, sometimes reading something familiar is painful because it's so familiar, you skip it. So let's just read from verse 13, chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now just pause. When you read the Bible, sometimes if you read it like your favorite verse or a story— if you don't consider what's before and after, you could actually miss where, where the fit is. And so we're going to read this very famous miracle, Jesus feeding the 5,000. But notice what Matthew does. When he had heard this, heard what? If you read chapter, uh, verse, verses 1 through 12, you see that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, is brutally murdered. And sometimes we just forget that. Uh, we, don't, we don't have to read it all. Most of us know the story. 
John the Baptist is a messenger of God. Jesus said he's the most important person who's ever been born of a woman. Hello. Talk about a claim. Because he's pointing the way to God's rescue. He's pointing the way to Jesus. And then John, who speaks the truth, Herod is the Roman leader over their area. He tells Herod, you shouldn't have married your brother's wife. That's wrong. And Herod's scared. But his wife, Herodias, has a daughter. And it's her birthday. The daughter, stepdaughter dances for dad. This is weird. But this is the world that Jesus lives in. You think our world is sick? Nothing's changed. The world that Jesus is born into is broken. And so he says, whatever you want in the kingdom could be yours. And then Herodias uh, says, hey, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And talk about a birthday party. They bring out John the Baptist's decapitated head as a sign of how powerful Herod is. Now, this is sick. But sometimes you read the Bible and you just sanitize it and say, it's all good. Jesus hears the news of his cousin's murder, injustice. Now you read the newspaper, you read your apps, and you just, you hear about this brutality, wars, all sorts of violence. The world that Jesus is born into is very similar to the world that we were born into. And so in the middle of this, what does Jesus do? I want us to catch this. Jesus goes away. When he heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately. There is a season. There is a healthy thing to do when you are confronted with evil, when evil hits your house, when injustice hits your door. What Jesus does is the best thing that we could do. He takes that moment. It is totally okay. You hear about whatever happened to get away, not just to decompress, he gets away to spend time with his father. When Jesus goes to the mountain, he goes to spend time with his father. And that may be you this morning. This has nothing to do with the rest of where we're going, but you just may be like, your heart is burdened and broken over what's happening in your world. That is okay to be hurt and broken about it. Don't fluff it off and push it aside. But do what Jesus did. Get away, withdraw, so that you can get the bigger story from God. So that's what Jesus does. But here's what happens, middle of verse 13. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Sometimes, sometimes you just wonder why. Like, why, why is it, God, that a drunk, a drunk driver in a moment of foolishness can destroy a whole family? And now a child's gone or another person's gone. Uh, Brooke, some of you know Brooke Moser, who, who helped plant this church. Their uh, third child, Birdie, came down with this infant um, seizures. I can't remember the exact name of the issue, but right now they're at St. V's Hospital, six months old. Now they're going to have to give her daily injections for like three months of stuff that could have such adverse reaction. But if they don't stop the seizures, she is in serious trouble. Loves God. Brooke and Elizabeth serving God, following God. Why them? Why now? We ask these questions, and sometimes we don't know what to do. So Jesus pulls away because he understands sometimes we don't know. Evil is real, and injustice is real. Brokenness is real. It's all real. So Jesus, in getting away, but notice the response. While he goes away to be with the Father, people come to him with need because he's a miracle worker, and he's a radical teacher. And so 
This is another good word for us. In the middle of Jesus' own broken heart, what does he do? When confronted with other people who are in need, he steps out to bring healing to them. That's a good reminder to us. Sometimes God is going to take us away from that moment of reflection, and he may put someone else in your way that has a different need or a similar need, and you can be like Jesus and get the attention off of yourself and on others as well. Both are appropriate. Jesus goes away, but now Jesus is helping them. So he goes to the mountain to be with the Father, and notice again that key word, fill with compassion. Verse 14, Jesus landed and sees the crowd. He had compassion on them and healed the sick. Now we teased this out a couple of weeks ago. Compassion means from the, from the innards, from the entrails, from the gut. It's, it's that deep feeling within, sorrow, anger, hurt, pain. You feel people's pain and do something about it. It's not compassion if you just feel it. Compassion in the biblical story is about feeling that leads to action. I, based on what I feel in the hurt of someone else, I do something about it. So Jesus lives this way. Now, what happens? We're getting to the famous part. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already late. Um, and send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So the disciples do exactly what you and I would do. They're practical. We live in a, a world that has so much brokenness, so much need, so many horrific things happening. It is easy to throw your hands in the air and say, who cares? I can't make a difference. Can I? Am I? And even if I do one thing, look at how much, how much is happening over here. Can I really make a difference? Now, the disciples do the practical thing. It's like, Jesus, this is overwhelming. You talk too long, okay? There's no, there's no Winco, no cheap groceries here. There's no, there's no food carts. I mean, although Portland is famous for it, we didn't invent the food carts. But, but like, there's no place to go. And just like, you know, if you want Mexican, have Mexican. You want Vietnamese. Like you, what are we going to do? We're in the middle of nowhere. Jesus, it's time to get rid of these people. Be kind before it gets dark. Let them go into town and get some food. And then, and then Jesus gives a radical response that I want us to focus on and consider. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And then the conversation. Uh, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, sure, bring them to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down in the grass. And then taking the loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So there's so much. Matthew's really clear about this. It's not like everyone had enough to eat. Jesus gives enough for everyone to eat and abundance more at the end than there was at the beginning. In verse 21, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So Matthew's really clear. He's writing to us who have not met Jesus personally. And he says, just so you know, this was not like everyone took out their lunch and everyone ate. This is 5,000 men and women and children. Could be 10, could be 15,000 people in the middle of nowhere they're so hungry for Jesus that they're not even thinking about food. And God provides. 
you give them something to eat. Now, to state the obvious, there's no way they could do it. And so in our world that's broken and in our city that's broken and in our homes that are broken, I'm here to make a reminder and a confession. Jesus, if you're his disciple, is going to say to you, when it seems like you can't do it and it seems like there's no way, he's going to confront you and see in your life and say, you, there's no need for them to go somewhere else. I'm actually setting you up. I want you to provide what you cannot provide. Now, there's two layers to the story at least. I'll, I'll deal with the original layer first, and then we'll, we'll, we'll deal with layer two. In one sense, Matthew's not writing about us. He's writing about Jesus. How do I know that? Because in the time of Jesus, there was an expectation that Messiah was going to come. God had promised and told the prophets, I'm going to send a deliverer like Moses who's going to set the people free. So they're looking for him. Now, at the time of Jesus, there became an expectation. So if this person is going to be like Moses, what's going to happen? Now, I'm going to throw a quote on the screen. It's not in the Bible, but it's in a book, a Jewish book, that would be read in synagogue at the time of Jesus. It's from 2 Baruch 29.8. Not in the Bible, but you're going to know people who are at the time of Jesus are thinking this way. Look at the quote. It shall come to pass at the time that the treasury of manna shall again descend from on high and they will eat of it in those years because these are they who have come to the consummation of the ages. It may sound like foreign. You're like, that didn't help. What this, this quote is saying, when Messiah comes, manna, bread from heaven, will come again. Remember, Matthew's writing to people who knew the Bible and in Exodus, remember God delivered through Moses the people. Hundreds of thousands of people come out of slavery. God says, I'm going to take you to the land of promise. But they're in the desert and they have no food. And God provides manna, which in Hebrew means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. They just knew they could eat it and survive. Forty years, they, they have whatever that is. And they boil it and they, they eat it. And God provides bread from heaven. So... There was an expectation. When God comes again, here's what's going to happen. There will be bread from heaven. So Matthew 14 is about Jesus saying in, uh, uh, in unequivocal terms, because he gives bread from heaven, he is the one who's bringing in consummation of the ages. The fulfillment of everything God was doing is happening right now. So in one sense, Matthew is saying in this encounter, nobody does what Yahweh the God of Israel does. Nobody feeds people from heaven. Oh, by the way, Jesus does. Jesus is Yahweh. He is Israel's Savior. No one does what God alone does. He's saying to the people, Jesus is the one you're looking for. Okay, that's one level. But on another level, there's something we can take from Jesus' encounter with his disciples when we think about what we're to do with our broken world? How do you and I make a real difference? Today, we're, in light of compassion and calling and community, what are we actually going to do? I want to focus on what we're going to do for those in the most broken situations. We live in a world filled with poverty. We live in a world filled with evil. We live in a world that's unjust. What do we do in Jesus' name? Three things I want us to consider as a platform, and then I want to invite you to pray about what you're particularly to do. 
The three are generic, but then you're going to pray, God, what do you want me to do? The first thing you need to remember is we can't do everything. We cannot do everything. So Jesus feeds the 5,000, but in, in the area, there were people starving down the road. Jesus does not feed the whole world. He feeds a particular group of people. The larger story, Jesus raises people from the dead. He does not raise John the Baptist from the dead. Jesus can save anyone from anything. John the Baptist is beheaded and buried and died. Even Jesus does not do everything. So if we're going to be used by God, if we're going to be a people that live out compassion, that fulfill our calling as disciples, who do it as a community, we need to remember we're not going to do everything. People often say, well, you know, I came from this church and we had this. Would you guys consider doing this? I am almost immediately saying no. We can't even do what we do well. Doing more does not mean you're fulfilling God's call. We can't do everything. Neither should we. I want to tell you, we were in Thailand and Myanmar, and we were there because there's a ministry that you support. You may not even know it. Call Remember New, N-H-U. New is the name of a girl who was sold as a child into the sex trade, I think in Cambodia. A businessman from Ohio heard a missionary tell the story of New, who was sold and the horrific things that happened to her. And God confronted him owned a big insurance company, and said, remember new. Like, don't you forget that girl. Out of that, he went to prayer. Out of that, he went to thinking. Long story short, in the end, he ended up selling his business and saying, God wants me to remember the children who are being sold. Don't forget, we're living in a comfortable world. I know you have your issues, but 1.2 million children are sold into the sex trade every year, and those numbers are conservatives, probably more. 1.2 million, we're talking 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds. So, okay, you hear that stat, like, well, I can't do anything about that. Well, you can't do everything. But Remember News started 10 years ago with one home because in doing the research, they realized trying to rehabilitate someone who's already been in the sex trade, a girl or a boy, that's been raped incessantly for years. It takes years to help bring them to wholeness. But what happens is if they get them out, these evil people are just getting other kids and putting in their slot. We need to prevent children that are at risk. So Remember New started as an organization to help prevent children who are are at risk. And there are signs that you can tell when a child is about to be sold. And let's go in and offer that family an alternative. We will take your child and raise your child. We'll provide food. We'll provide clothing. We'll provide school fees. We will raise them. You do not need to sell them. So they go in and work in villages where children are being uh, taken or bought. And, 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 and so, but in asking them, so what, what about those kids that are in this horrific situation? Remember, New doesn't do anything about that. Now, why I'm, I'm not slamming them. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I, I applaud them. They realize this one businessman with a burden on his heart realized, I can't do everything. I can't. So rather than trying to rehabilitate everyone and get everyone out, let other organizations do that. What I want to do 
What I feel compelled to do is to make sure that another child isn't sold. So while you can't do everything, that doesn't mean you, that there's nothing that you can do. Remember, Jesus doesn't stop John the Baptist from being murdered, and he doesn't raise him from the dead. But that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care for the 5,000. Jesus does some things. Now, Jesus' word to them, you give them something to eat means you can't do everything. But the second thing is equally important. You do have something to give. So as a business owner in Ohio, he said, well, I can, I have money tied up in this business. Let me sell it so that I'm free to travel the world and find out how to best get kids who are at risk into a safe environment. Now, I'm not suggesting go sell everything, go do that. I'm just here to say that Remember New is an example of one man with one burden hearing about one story about one girl realized he had something to give. He had a business that he could, he could sell off so that he could be free. You and I have five loaves and two fish. And so in the story, what, what Jesus says is, what do you have? Now, John, all four Gospels share the same story, by the way. All four Gospels only share about one miracle, and it's this one. If you read the rest of the Gospels, they share some, they share others, they leave others out. Everyone talks about this one because it's so profound. It speaks to Jesus as the king, and it speaks to Jesus using his disciples. You see, Jesus' plan from the beginning was not to do everything himself. He didn't do everything. He didn't ask his disciples to do everything, but he did have something to give. So he says, John tells us that there was a boy that had five loaves and two fish. So they bring this to Jesus. Now, do they bring it to Jesus because they believe him or to test him? Matthew doesn't tell us. If it's me, it's, they're, they're, <laughs> here you go, Jesus. Congratulations. You talk long, everyone starves, you know? And this is not like Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. You remember the movie where he had the machine and you put in the five loaves and, you know, it's a miracle. He, he gives thanks in front of all of them. Father, and then he passes out food to the point where there's 12 baskets left over. You give them something to eat. So let's not forget how it happens. The miracle is not just Jesus. And sometimes you think, well, that's Jesus, or that's, that's someone, you know, you're a pastor in a church, or that's someone who knows a lot. That's not me. Don't miss the, the point is the disciples didn't have anything but a little, little basket of food. But in the hands of Jesus, that becomes more than enough. So don't be surprised when you think about helping people in Jesus' name, when you think about living compassionately, some of us get this mistaken idea well, when I have enough, I'll help out. And that's, it's logical. It's just flawed. In order to do things that God wants to do, you're never gonna, I'm never going to have enough. What I can do, though, is at every point in my life where Jesus seems to be leaning on me, I can present what I do have. And if you're a student, you have bills. That's all you have. You have bills. And no promise of a job. I hate to be that guy. But you may be 30 years out of school and you've built a career and you realize now you have more. So hear me though, if you're a student, don't wait till you're 30 years in the career to say, God, now I can serve you. The disciples have five pieces of bread and two fish and 10 to 15,000 people are fed. It's a reminder that you don't need anything. What you need is to give whatever little you have to Jesus 
trusting that he will do what you cannot do. And so that is the point of becoming a disciple. Now, I want you to hear a story. In Myanmar, uh, there's a couple that moved there a couple years ago, Matt and Corinne, and they have a similar story in that God really confronted them about a need, and they, like the disciples, just took the little bit that they had, and, and they're doing something with it. So I, I, they live in Myanmar, and they couldn't be here, but I want you to hear this story. Hey, Matt and Karen, tell us a little bit about uh, God's initial call for you guys to go to Myanmar. Like, why Myanmar? Mm. Uh, we have been um, praying for years, and we had lived in China previously, and we were wondering where would uh, God send us next. And um, the really long story short is that God gave us um, specific things in particular, we wanted to work among the poor of the world and children, and if possible, in education. Yeah. And Karen, give us a little bit about Myanmar. Mm -hmm. what, what obstacles were you facing when you first thought about going there? Well, when we first, it first hit our radar, and so we started digging some more and trying to find what information we could. It was coming up as very poor. Um, I think it's the second poorest country in Asia after Afghanistan. And um, it quickly hit our radar that it, out of 180 countries, it's ranked 180th in terms of quality of healthcare. So we just were asking ourselves, what does that mean for our family? If we're, you know, we already have a toddler at that point and we are hoping to grow our family, um, what, what would that look like with our boots on the ground? Yeah. Now, like, Coca-Cola doesn't go to a few places. What are the three that... <laughs> right, right. So when we first were starting to think about Myanmar, it was 2012, 2013. And at that point in the world, there were only three countries where Coca-Cola was not. Um, one was Cuba, one was North Korea, and one was Myanmar. But Coca-Cola is now there, so down to two. <laughs> Maybe in Cuba now, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and now, you know, you've stepped out in faith to follow the way of Jesus. What are some of the challenges that you see ahead in helping not only to help children, but even in raising your own family in a culture that's so different than Portland? Uh, they are considerable. <laughs> and um, the World Health Organization, just by way of example, ranked Myanmar 180 out of 180 countries worldwide uh, for a quality of healthcare. And so we were processing this as a family with a young child at that time. Now we have two. Um, how are we going to do this? We actually took um, a wilderness first responder medical training class just so that we would have some idea of what to do in the event that our children or we ourselves or friends should have a medical emergency. Um, that was very helpful. Um, other than that, how would you answer? Well, now that we've been there, um, it's a lot of just figuring out how people live there on a day-to-day -day basis and what that means for us. Like in Myanmar, we, we have a really nice, comfortable house, but we still get power outages. And in Myanmar, about 33% of the people only have a constant supply of power. And our power that we're getting the frequent outages 
that's considered one of the constant supplies of power. So there's you know a lot of people in the country that live without power. Um, you know even because it's a tropical climate there are quite a few mosquitoes and it's one thing to have an annoying mosquito bite but when you're thinking about that mosquito could be carrying dengue or um, some other tropical disease we're, we're just on heightened alert about a lot of things and yet trying to maintain that balance of walking in obedience believing that this is where God has called us and um, really just continuing to trust the Lord that this is where he wants us for now. So they mentioned the whole mosquito thing, and um, when they first moved there, Matt got dengue fever, which is horrific. And they're raising now two kids in an environment that is mostly Buddhist, is extremely poor. And I don't know if you noticed, they're a little white. They kind of stand out in Southeast Asia. Um, but they had lived in China, and then we're praying about, and I love the process, all right, God, what do you want next? And then, oh, Myanmar, when they started praying about going, they had no idea, those of you who know what's happening in the world, that Burma at the time would have its first democratically uh, elected leader in 50 years. It's been under military rule. They moved there when it was still under military rule. Over the last 12 months, they have watched. Coca-Cola is now coming in because there's a, a level of safety and freedom, but they were already living there. They, didn't, they had no idea what God was about to do, but they realized they could give something. And so I'm not here to highlight them because the, the challenge of showing a video of that was like, makes the rest of us feel like schleps. Like, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Therefore, I'm not doing anything. Don't catch that at all. Jesus is not requiring 99.9% .9 of you to move to Myanmar. So for you to move there would be disobedience. God called them to do that. That's what his work was for them. But I just want you to see the impossible situations. They're living in a place with almost no good health care. They're living in conditions that are nowhere. And young kids are being sold off. And so they can't save every child. And they can't rehabilitate every child. But they're doing something. Right now, Matt's involved in a Bible school with about 25, 30 students. Are 25, 30 students going to change the entire country? Maybe. So they're doing what they can. And so when it comes to a world that's full of need, and when it comes to injustice, and what do we do, and where do I start? Remember, you can do something. That's the third idea. We can do something. John reminds us that that. A boy has a little bit of food. And Matt and Curtin remind us that you can do something with what God has given you. The disciples listen to the instructions of Jesus and they do something. And so when we talk about compassion and how to live it out, we remember that we're not going to do everything. We're not going to change the entire world. Our local church is not. But we have something to offer uniquely and we can do something. Now, the good news is you don't have to join staff of a church or become a career missionary and move to the other side of the world. You, you may not be a Bible teacher. You might not, might not be a courageous mom to raise two young girls in a hostile environment. Some of you are thinking, mosquitoes, get me out of there. But you can do something. Um, so I want to balance their story with sharing another. On this trip, Brandon and myself and um, a couple of leaders from Hear the Cry, which I'm going to talk about, 
were there. And one of those leaders is a part of our church. She was here at nine. Her name's Penny Stady. You may not have met her, but I want you to hear a little bit about her five loaves and two fish and her following Jesus. So Penny, you've been with Heal the Cry for seven years and you've seen it grow from a small thing to help the poor and widow orphan. How, How have you seen it grow? Well, when I started, uh, there were two trips a year, two countries that we served in, India and Zimbabwe. And right now we're sending out 20 to 30 different teams a year. Some are small, some are bigger, 10 different countries, and just um, serving in multiple ways, not just the poor, the widow, and the orphan, but also doing some micro uh, finance, sustainability. There's quite a bit going on. Yeah. And in that, uh, would you consider yourself a speaker or preacher? Absolutely not. Are you enjoying being interviewed right now? Absolutely not. (laughs) But you do have a unique set of gifts. Like, what do you do within the Hear the Cry? Like, what exactly do you do? Well, my title, you know, because everybody has to have a label on it, is um, I'm the global director. And what that means is I spend most of my days behind a 13-inch screen uh, running the organization. And so that's everything from uh, really working with the teams, um, questions that come in from the very beginning where people are like, hey, what does this look like? What would it look like for me to go on a trip? Um, How can I serve? How can I plug in? And so a lot of correspondence with the local people just answering questions. facilitating kind of logistically organizing all the trips and teams that go out and serve in the countries is mm-hmm. probably my biggest role. What would you say to someone who's maybe says, I'm, I'm not called to be a missionary, mm-hmm. but I want to do something. Like, what would your advice be? Well, first, um, being called. If you're saying you're being called, you are a missionary. And everybody has a gift that can be used by the Lord. And so mine, administratively, um, is kind of where I sit. And I know that I can... Uh, communicate well, um, not necessarily from the stage like you, but in different forms and platforms and organizational skills and uh, just different leadership abilities and being able to go out. Um, it doesn't matter you know, if someone wants to label me a secretary versus a director. Um, to me, it's just, this is what I do. I love her correction. If you say that you're called and you are a missionary, you see, Penny doesn't go to most places. She spends most of her time sending you. And she's equally involved in the mission of Jesus. Now, on occasion, she'll go and, 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 and go to coordinate things. And, but most of her tasks are administrative. And you're like, oh, that's more me. Well, you have something to give. So what we don't want to say is the, the four of you who have public speaking ability or the five of you who are great business leaders You're the ones God's calling, and the rest of us will pray for you. No, we're saying every one of us has something to contribute. Everyone has something to give. And to put the whole thing together, is that's the kingdom difference. So us going out in compassion looks differently. It may look like Matt and Corinne, and God may call you to raise up and pick up your family and go. They have lots of financial people supporting. That's part of mission. And then you have Penny, who's here sending. Everyone's doing something. Now, Like I said, in this series, we talk a little bit about what we believe, and then we talk about what we do. So I want to just remind you of what you're already doing. Some of you are like, man, I wish I could do more. You may not realize that you're already doing amazing things. Hear the Cry is our joint compassion and justice initiative amongst all of our churches that are in this area. So us and Van City and Bridgetown and Westside and 
and um, church plants in Spokane and Ben and others are all contributing together to hear the cry of the broken and the poor. Now, we don't do everything. So hear the cry is the banner under which we do some things. So we're in Haiti and Iraq and we're in India and Nicaragua and Southeast Asia and Somalia and Uganda and Zimbabwe, which means we're not in most countries of the world. Why? We can't do everything. So we found strategic places, strategic partners, strategic cities where we can make a difference and we're giving what we have. So if you simply contribute to God through the church, 10% of everything that you give goes towards these different initiatives. And it's different in every country because the need is different. And so it's not cookie cutter, but we believe that together we can do something. So if you go to hearthecry.org, you can find out like, well, I want to do more than just whatever I regularly give. There are projects that have been identified in these eight areas that just need funding on top of the 10%, which does a ton. By the way, collectively, we did last year more than a million dollars in justice work and in compassionate work all around the world. If you, that doesn't even include the trips part of it. If you include all the trips, it's like close to 1.6, 1.7 million dollars together. Now, we're not doing it just us. We have like, compared to Westside, we have half a fish and like a crumb. <laughs> but we're doing our part, right? So it's not about who gives more. It's not about who goes more. It's not about who does more. We are required to do our part. You're required to do your part. We have something to give and we can do something. So we called you out on top of all this to sponsor kids in Arua. 150 kids in Arua, Uganda are being sponsored, get school fees and get medical care and get uniforms and love and Jesus because of you. We are, I'm not here to say like, come on guys, let's do something. We are doing something and we should celebrate that. Now, I would like to see us do twice as much as what we're doing. And I found the secret. If you give twice as much, <laughs> we could do twice as much. And so why are you laughing? <laughs> I wasn't kidding. We could do more. But here's what we need to do. Like in order to do more compassionate, loving things in Jesus' name, here's what's going to have to happen. At least three things. And I want to set you up just so you can pray. The first thing if you think, I want to make a difference, well, pay attention to what's happening around you. You see, Matt and Corinne, they simply, God had sent them to China. They spent some time there. Their season ended there. And they began to pray and look around where, oh, and they realized, oh, wow, the poor and education and with children, that's where God is leading us. So they were just paying attention for, for Penny. I remember when she first got hired, and it wasn't for Hear the Cry. It was another administrative job. But then as as the, the seedbed of this ministry started, she has great administrative skills and she was asked to do a ton, two trips and all this other thing. And now she's coordinating, you know, some 20 some this year that are going to happen in the next 12 months to all these countries and their team is small, but she's the right person and Mike's the right person. The right people are in the right slot. So, so they're doing something, just paying attention to what's happening around. And I'm here to suggest for most of us, it's not going to be even as far as downtown Portland. Most of the things God's going to ask you to do are right in front of you already. By the way, the disciples are already on the mountainside, already there. The people show up, and then Jesus says, you do something. 
Most of your opportunities are right in front of you if you'll just open your eyes and see him. Second thing is we need to ask Jesus to break us out of complacency. The disciples say, send him away. It's always easier if you push the problem away. Wouldn't you agree? Just, just send it away. So how do we send our problems away? We just don't look at them. Because we have technology, we, what we do is we just look at our devices and shut our minds off from the world around us. And so all we need to do, all, this is so simple. <laughs> Actually not. Ask Jesus to smash your stuff. What's, what's keeping us in a complacent state for most of us? I, I don't want to speak broad strokes, but I will. It's our stuff. Now define stuff. I don't know what your stuff is. But the the things that keep us from radical compassion, radical generosity, we want to invite Jesus to smash those things because those things are actually, we think they're helping us, but they're, they're keeping us bound when Jesus wants to set us free to live as he did. And Jesus gave. And so what's going to keep you from, from serving God is complacency. We want to invite Jesus to break us out of it. And then the third thing, I think is the most important. Don't wait 30 years to serve Jesus. So just simply take the first step. <laughs> take, if you want to be used this year, now I can give you a way. Through Hear the Cry, there are enough opportunities. Like, man, I, I have a heart. Man, I, that remember new, I, I have a heart. For, well, great. Just jump on their website or just jump on Hear the Cry and you'll find like, it's not everything. There are other options. But God, if you're a part of the church, God's already given you Many options. Maybe, maybe it's taking a, a, a step of faith and going to see the need for yourself. We'll say, well, why don't we just send the money? Well, money's not going to change anything. Only Jesus changes things. Sometimes the money to get you to see where Jesus is working is the best money because it changes your entire life. So maybe it's go or someone else is going. You say, well, wait a minute, I got this... I got like a raise six months ago. Isn't that cool? Maybe God has already set you up. Well, I didn't expect I'd get this job and I got it. Maybe God's setting you up. Well, this person passed away and man, I'm sad to see them go. They surprised me with a piece of their inheritance. Like, whoa. Immediately our thought is, what can I buy? Maybe Jesus is saying, what can you do? Again, the disciples don't have it all, but they have something. And so I just want to suggest to you, this year, pray and ask Jesus to move you out of complacency and to take one step. To, to, to walk a mile, which seems like a lot, is just 2,000 steps. It's just 2,000 for the average. Some of you tall people, it's like 12. But for the, for, for the average Joe, a.k.a. me, it's 2,000 steps. But... If I think about the mile, I won't do anything. But what if I just took one step? Then it's just 1,999. See, a mile is just 2,000 individual steps in a row. So what I'm saying to you is you have a step that you can take. There is one thing you could do that could lead to another thing, that could lead to another thing, that could lead to another thing. And it may not be glamorous like what you see on a screen, although Penny with her 10,000 emails... Traveling with this crew for 10 days, realized, I thought I got a lot of emails. I, I'm a nobody. The amount that she gets, but just one email at a time, one trip at a time. 
you can do something. So I want to say Jesus is inviting you to the next step. But I don't know what that is. So I'm going to invite you to pray. What is it that Jesus is going to stir you to do? Maybe it's just increasing generosity in general. 10% of everything you give here goes to justice and compassion. Another 10% on top of that goes to plant churches and do evangelism, spread the love of Jesus around the world. Already, last year, of the almost, we didn't do our reconciling, we're going to do a financial report, but of the little over a million dollars that came in in the last 12 months, already 200,000 plus went directly out the door to do Jesus' work. So you're already doing something. So maybe it's as simple as just continue to do what you're doing and ask for more. I'm not trying to raise money here. I just want to see everyone changed. What's your step? What's your next step? Let's now invite, let's not check out, let's invite God to speak to us. If he spoke to the disciples in the least likely time, they were hungry. They wanted a break. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now let's now invite God to speak to us in surprising ways. It may be simple, it may be a reminder, but in surprising ways. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are doing a work here. You're doing a work in us. And now we invite you, Spirit of God, to personalize. What is it that each of your sons and daughters here this morning, what are you inviting them to do? What one step are you inviting them to take as we worship you, Lord Jesus, as we sing these songs that resonate with what our heart is saying? Would you now push us in that direction? Break us out of complacency, we pray, Lord. Whatever it is that's got us in a pit that's about me, 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 Get us out, rescue us, God, so that we can be set free to see people experience life in you. Do it, Lord, we pray.